I was going to go to Barnes and Noble today. I need to do a a, a browse. I haven't been there in a little while, and, gonna and so I'm. T- never mind. I, <laughs> I was going to say they're going to think I'm mad at them. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Welcome to Book Talk, Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And this week, we are talking about chunky books. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, Tina. Hey, Renee. How are you? I am good. As I was telling you before we started recording, I am looking forward to a bookstore, a Barnes & Noble bookstore browse Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yeah. And then behind the scenes, I have just been actually accumulating somewhat of a TBR of potential books. I I really want to try just to see if they might sneak in on, mm-hmm. you know, on my end of the year best of list because Yay. we we're going to be getting ready to plan that. I think ours is dropping December 14th. Yes. It, and indeed. And we have to, I mean, it's, it's here. It's happening. It's here. By the way, audience, we are off next week because of Thanksgiving. Can you believe it? I I like no. truly can't. We're always living a, a week or two ahead in terms of our reading to try and get there and all of that. And I was looking ahead. I was like, oh, what's our next? Ep- oh my God, we're off. It's Thanksgiving. So quick <laughs> note, we won't be here the week of Thanksgiving. Of course, as always, join us on Patreon if you miss us that week and you want some bonus episodes. But I'm kind of excited to do a little bit of free reading and just see what strikes my fancy. And just like you said, really try and get maybe... I like my, I I already did a top 10, like a loose one, and Mm, I like where it's going. I like where we're at, but hey, there's always room for one or two more. There is always room, exactly. And there's just a couple books lingering in my mind of, could those be possibilities? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I need to give those a try. Um, Yeah. But I also can't tell myself Okay, here's your t- here's your TBR, and this is what you have to read because then I'll be like, no, I don't feel like it. No, I don't want to. <laughs> right? Exactly. I can't think of any books that have come out. You know me; I'm stuck on this mindset of best of the year means they came out in 2023, which is not true. It's not how we do our show, but my brain doesn't like listen. Oh. So I have no clue what books came out this year that I've missed out on that you haven't brought. Maybe I'll look at what you brought if there's a few there. But yeah. I like that plan to try and look and see what books I might want to sample or might want to try and see if they make it. Mm-hmm. Folks, this week I have everything I'm recommending this week. I highly recommend like five star. I only have two five star reads. One's like four and a half, but my loving lately, I'm like buzzing. Okay. Let me tell you about it. It's a podcast. Okay. It's a podcast. It's been a labor of love because it's very long. There's a lot of episodes, but it. Listen to me when I say this. I have not been this invested in a true crime podcast since Serial. Oh, okay. Oh, it's that good. It is Your Own Backyard. Have you ever heard of it? Never heard of it. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. This is a documentary podcast series 
that investigates the 1996 disappearance of Cal Poly student Kristen Smart. It's created by a journalist named Chris Lambert, and he is from the California area and got inspired to do a deep dive on Kristen when he came across her face on a billboard on the side of the road, and it was essentially a billboard of a missing persons poster, and it said, Missing Cal Poly student Kristen D. Smart. He was trying to figure out, well, that was a while ago. This was 1996. He's figuring this out. I think he started probably in 20, we'll say 2019 for the podcast. He's like, why don't we have answers? So he starts to ask around because he's from the area. He has a friend of a friend that knew somebody that knew somebody. And he goes down this rabbit hole and eventually starts to interview people such as her roommates, other people that were there the night she disappeared, friends, even her family. What makes this unique is that this case was going on. There were updates to the case that was happening while the podcast was going on. I'm trying to be very vague. I don't want to say too much because I knew absolutely nothing of the case. I promise you, though, even if you know about Kristen Smart or even what happened, you will be hooked. I have never quite listened to a podcast like this in terms of the things that were revealed. It's so well produced. He did such a good job, or whoever is helping him with this podcast, in the beginning when he's investigating people, literally you're in, the mic is on. When he's walking up to the door, you hear the people's dogs barking. Like, it's so tense. I'm getting chills thinking about this damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely fascinating. He's a great interviewer. He's very respectful. It's very respectful top to bottom. It doesn't feel biased to me. I think other folks might disagree, but I think listeners feel that he's just being very empathetic when he's telling the story and investigating. If you like following along with legal cases, you will get your fill on this one. I cannot recommend it enough. Go download it. Please listen and please talk to me about it because I'm dying to talk to someone. This was the podcast, Your Own Backyard. Do you know the Kristen Smart case? Have you ever heard of yes. it? Yes. When you okay. said, as soon as you said her name, I have heard of her, but I I don't remember any of the details mm-hmm. of her case. I just recognize the name. Yeah. I had no, I knew nothing. And the thing that really struck me is when you get into the ins and outs of the things that happened the day she disappeared, I'm like, well, shit, that could have been me. Could have been any of us. You know, mm-hmm. if you go to college, like just things happen and Uh, It's really, really sad. I mean, definitely a sad case, but an absolutely riveting listen. Okay. I'm definitely going to squeeze that in. Is it just one season? Oh, it's it's sort of one season, but it's like 25 episodes and they're all like an hour. I mean, it's very long. Oh, there are there's two parts, we'll say there's a first part and a second part. And I'll leave it at that. But the first part's maybe 10 episodes. So, like, the main meat of what's going on is the first part. The second part's done in a different way for reasons that you'll come to understand. But, oh, man, you, yeah, if you like podcasts, you like true crime, this is a must listen. Okay, good. Oh, yes. All right. My Loving Lately is a product. Now, Mm -hmm. I think I teased this to you, Tina, last week, but I told you I I ordered something on Amazon. (laughs) That is it a flashlight? I needed. No, it's not a flashlight. <laughs> That's why it's not a flashlight. I think we're filled up on flashlights. <laughs> but I do have to say that that one I brought last week is coming in very handy. No, this is something I saw on my trusted deals and steals or steals and deals. This one was from the Today Show, I believe. It is a Con Air fabric shaver and lint remover. It is battery operated and portable. 
can I tell you, I've never heard of something like this, but when they Mm -hmm. were showing it, I was like, I need that and I hope it works. And the reason I wanted it was because I hold on to my sweaters. I have sweaters from The Limited. Now, The Limited has been gone for many years. (laughs) And I still love those sweaters, but they Mm -hmm. are pilling really bad. I've used this on one of them. It works. Oh, good. It works. I'm very happy. So this is a fabric shaver. It safely removes fuzz, lint, and pills from your favorite fabrics from socks to sofas, which is interesting. It's safe to use on most household fabrics. Like I said, battery operated, two AA batteries, um, and portable. And there's a three-setting distance control so you can customize your fabric shave. Oh, I love when I come across things. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who may already have one or know about it, but this was such a new to me product that is just saving my super old sweaters that are probably not in style, but I still like to wear. So that is the Conair fabric shaver and lint remover. I used to have one. It was not high quality at all. And like, it was very hard for me to use, but I like that it's got three different, what did Settings. you call it? Yeah, Settings. Set, distance, yeah. distance controls. Distance controls. And mm-hmm. hey, I bet you your sweaters are back in style. I think they came back around. Well, they could be. I mean, well, but you know, I, I like I what like I a like. Good basic, a good basic doesn't go out of style. Well, you know? yeah. And you know, they're all black and gray. So <laughs> that, <laughs> never goes, that never goes out of style. Never. But, oh, oh, the price point. The price uh-huh. point is excellent. I think it was $13 or $13.99. Oh, yeah. And especially if you're saving the length, the lifetime of your sweaters, it's definitely worth it. Uh, yes. Mm, well, good. I'll bring my sweaters over next time I visit. We can, <laughs> we can play. We can depill them. Uh, we can depill them. We know how to have a good time. Don't tell us otherwise. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can I please tell you about my latest read? I'm so excited. It is a very under-the-radar horror book that only has 802 ratings on Goodreads. Oh. It's so good. It's Ling Hun by Ai Zhang. Okay. And that's L-I-N-G-H-U-N. And her name is A-I-J-I-A-N-G. And this book is about a town called Home. And the residents move to home with the hopes that their house will be haunted by the ghosts of their departed loved ones. Oh, that's the, the hopes. premise. The hopes, right? Okay. They move there hoping they've all lost somebody and they move there hoping that they'll be haunted by their loved one's ghost. All right. There are three main characters and each get a point of view in this book. You have Wenki, who is a high schooler whose parents moved to home to be reunited with her brother's ghost. Liam, Wenki's friend and what's known as a lingerer, and a neighbor called Mrs. and she's unnamed. The lingerers are families that are camped out on the lawns of the homes in town because they're there to try and take over the house when those residents leave because they also have lost loved ones. So these people give up everything from their hometown to move to home, to live on a lawn and hope that the residents leave. They kind of get first dibs, if you will. Okay. Okay. And this is in today's world. It's actually set in Canada and and some, you know, home is set in Canada. So it's not like a fantasy or anything like that. Obviously, you just have to go with it. Wanky was a fantastic character. She was my favorite because she is the daughter of, you know, she's a Chinese Canadian family. 
And her brother was the firstborn. He was the golden child. And like her mom was obsessed with him and remains obsessed with him even in his, in his death. And Wenke basically has to deal with being disregarded. She's like, mom, I'm still living, but she is very much her mother's second priority. No pun intended, but this book was haunting. What made me pick it up was the premise, but I stayed because of the writing. The writing is outstanding. It's only about 170 pages, but I have 26 passages highlighted. That's how much I wanted to remember. If you want a vibe comparison, and I'm being intentionally vague because the beauty of this is more in the premise and like the way the writing and the way you feel when you're reading it, not necessarily the plot. But if you want a vibe comparison to, to decide if you should pick it up, it gave me a little bit along the lines of Confessions by Kane Minato and We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. That's the vibe. That's where you're going. This is about death. It's about mourning. It's about identity and being an immigrant to a new place and about family and letting go. I can't say enough about this. I highly, highly recommend it. I loved it. My only complaint was that it wasn't longer. I could have done another 170 pages in this world set with these people. The author has written short stories and other novellas. This is her first more mainstream novel, if you will. So I've seen it called her debut. I definitely want to read her again. This came out this year. So maybe she's got something in the works. This was Ling Hun by Ai Zheng. Yeah, you sold me. that. So I've never bad. heard of this. And that premise, is it sounds original. It's original and it's so sad, but it's also, I mean, it's relatable. You know, you understand why the people are doing this. Like, of Mm -hmm. course, they're taking it to the extreme. It it was really, really good. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that's actually short enough. I think I could make room for that. There you go. Right. (laughs) And I was going to say, if you're trying to hit your end of the year Mm -hmm. reading goal, feel free to grab this one. I hope you do. Okay. All right. Um, Interestingly enough, um, my latest read is also very, I think, under the radar. There's only 474 reviews on Goodreads, and it came out in June. It's The Road to Dalton by Shannon Bowring. Now, this came on my radar. Um, I've seen it around Bookstagram before, um, but this is by also published by Europa Editions, and I have my eye on that publisher. I think they're produ- they're publishing some really quality books. So, of course, this one also grabbed my attention because it's set in 1990. And, you know, I love uh, a book set way back when. (laughs) And this is about a small town, Dalton, where the private is also public. And in the town of Dalton, one local makes an unthinkable decision that leaves the community reeling. And in the aftermath of that decision... The problems of everyone, both large and small, end up revealing a deeper understanding of the lives of their neighbors and remind us all that no one is exactly who we think they are. And oh boy, is that true. So Dalton is a small town in Maine. And just to give you a glimpse of some of the characters, you've got Rose and she goes to work at a diner every day with bruises hidden both from the customers and from her two young boys. And at a table there, she waits on Dr. Richard Haskell, and he looks back on one choice that's charted his entire life before his thoughts wander back to his wife, Trudy, and her best friend. Now, Trudy and Bev have been friends for longer than they can count, 
and something more than lovers to each other for some time now, a fact both accepted and ignored by their husbands. And then across town, you've got new mom Bridget, who lives with her high school sweetheart, Nate, and she is struggling after a traumatic birth experience. And then you have teenager Greg, who's trying to define the complicated feelings he has about himself and his two close friends. If this gives you any idea of the just the people and the small town and how do they possibly interact with each other, and boy, do they, this is it. This is the synopsis. This is what the story is about. And it grabbed me from page one. There is definitely a plot to this story, but it is also very, very character-driven. But the thing that I love about it is I became invested in all of these characters. I wanted to know, okay, oh my gosh, what is going to happen after this happens, after the big thing happens, after all of these, everybody has secrets, and when and if they come out— the reader gets to sit back and watch what happens. My only criticism of this book has to do with the last 20-ish percent, and I don't want to say what it is. But if you read it, I feel like you'll understand what I was talking about. But also come back and talk to me because I want to hear what you have to say. I had a great discussion with one of our patrons about this. We both kind of read it at the same time and were able to chat about it and then kind of got together for a longer discussion. And we both felt the same way about the resolution, I guess. I loved it. I did love it despite that criticism, I would like to put this book on more people's radar. It's The Road to Dalton by Shannon Bowring. It sounds great. And I like those kind of what's behind closed doors type stories. Mm -hmm. How are they going to intersect? And they all sound like they definitely have secrets. Yeah. Well, and people from small towns, which I I am, will understand how this small Mm. town operates. It it felt very real. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, It's funny. I brought a very short book to my latest read. And our topic today is chunky books or long books. And we, I don't know, I think we both enjoy a good long book now and again, but I think Mm -hmm. possibly both of us might tend to shy away from them depending on, I guess, timing. So what do you consider a chunky long book? What, What was your parameter? Okay. Well, for me, I I initially thought 500 pages or more, mm-hmm. but then the more I, I really thought about it, I'm leaning towards, in my, and this is so like random, but somewhere in the vicinity of like 430 to 450, I would consider that a long book too. Yeah. No, and that um, I did the same. Five hundred was my first thought, and I thought no, but four. I went four fifty. I was like four fifty okay. still feels long. That's that is a mm-hmm. long book, but like yeah. I could go four thirty and still think that's <laughs> long. I mean, let's we're really splitting hairs here, but kind of that's the same thing. We we had the same mindset, and I think it depends on the genre. I think a four hundred page literary fiction book might feel a little different than a 450-page thriller. Like that is, if you have a 450-page thriller, I mean, that is long because those Mm -hmm. typically are 300 to 350. Um, And one of my books today is a thriller that is over 450. I was like, all right, come on. I don't need to know everything that's in the fridge. (laughs) But that gets me to my next point why, you know, 
sometimes I think for me, I stay away from long books because I'm like, it takes a special kind of book to me to be able to pull off that page length. And I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel like I'm Mm -hmm. reading a 450, 500 plus page book. I want there to be a lot of depth, nuance, characters, rabbit holes, whatever it is. Some books in particular do this. It's like, because there are so many details, like I don't need something that's overly detailed. Like, you know, the there was seven limes and then they opened the fridge and there was six <laughs> more limes, you know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, what about you? Well, well, as you were talking, I'm agreeing with you. And yeah. I do, f- I feel like I ask too much of long books. I don't know if it's because we have the podcast and so we read on a deadline and mm-hmm. I have a feeling that that has to probably play into it because I don't mind a long book, but if it is going to be over 450 pages, then I'm going, here's what I'm going to (laughs) need. This is, I'm going to need you to pull me in real Mm -hmm. quick because if I'm, so I expect to be pulled in, but then I don't want it to drag. And I feel like I have all these like, all these subconscious requirements for long books. And like you said, I don't want to feel it either. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get to the 50% mark and know that I have potentially over 200 or 250 or 300 more pages and feel like, oh my, like I'm still climbing the hill. And (laughs) I, you know, I don't want to feel that. Agreed. No. I know yeah. and we're such picky readers, right? I think a, a lot of us are. It's like, you got to do all of these things right. But then on the other side of the coin, sometimes some of my very favorite, all-time favorite books are very long. They're very mm-hmm. long because you get that page length to really, you know, investigate who this character is. I feel like I walk away oftentimes knowing exactly who these people are and not going to be, not being able to forget them. And that is some of my favorite reading experience. I think I'm wary of them because of the sunk cost fallacy. So I don't want to get to that 50% mark and feel like, oh my gosh, there's 300 pages left. I've already put in this many hours of reading. I'm going to feel, I think, more (laughs) tempted to keep going instead of just abandoning ship because I already put in so many hours. Yeah. Yeah. I think I love getting lost in a long book. If I can get lost in it, that means I'll forget about the length. That means Mm -hmm. I will become so invested in the character's and or the plot, or I mean, both would be ideal. I mean, my top book of the last decade is what, over 700 pages, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Mm -hmm. Now, now that I'm saying that, that book did not pull me in. (laughs) No? No, it actually didn't. It was, I remember messaging my friend and saying, is anything going to happen? I'm almost 200 (laughs) pages into this book. And she said, you've got to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, boy, did that take, did that one turn and then just took off like a, oh, like a bolt of lightning. But yeah, I, so I'm contradicting myself, but that experience <laughs> of being with characters that then you forget that you're reading a long book, that's what I am ideally looking for. Mm-hmm. Also, as far as a thriller goes, I'm bringing one today too. That's long. And, but as far as thrillers go, I think it's kind of fun to finish a book that's a really good thriller. And then sometimes I'll go back and see the page numbers and I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that was 500 pages. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to me with Trust Your Eyes by Linwood Barkley. That was about 496 pages. I didn't even realize that. Mm -hmm. And that's a good feeling, I think. 
because oh, we're reading it digitally or we're listening to it. And you might mm-hmm. acknowledge, oh, okay, it's this many hours, but you don't realize it until you're in it. Yeah. I was looking back. I was curious to see how many chunky books I've read this year. And I used the 450 page marker as my benchmark for no reason mm-hmm. other than you need one. Um, and I've only read eight that were over 450 pages out of the 100 plus books I've read this year. So, um, okay. I don't know. I have. I gave myself the parameter of, okay, if it, if it was 430 pages or more, I'm going to call that a long book. Mm-hmm. And I have read 13. Okay. I bet you I would be right there if I went 430 because there was only a couple others that I think were like 420. And I was like, all right, I'll just cut off here at 450. Mm-hmm. God, we're dorks. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, but I will say a lot of the ones that are the longest books were some of my favorites of the year so far. So maybe that's a, a lesson we need to take away from this is, you know, don't be afraid. Try the long book. If you get pulled in, then then you're going to have a great reading experience. Because I will tell you, the lo- one of my long books that I read today is the longest book I've read of the year. And I read it in, I don't know, three, four days. Okay. Like, yeah. Fast for me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm he- I'm still hesitant. Like, mm-hmm. I... I debated on what book to even pick up for for this episode because I was like, oh gosh, I I want a love book. I want to love what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. So I will. I, there's still a few books that I'm thinking about, but it's just not the right time. So Greenwood by Michael Christie. That's one I did not try it for today, but it's it's on my radar. But I know it's a longer book, and I just feel like I need to wait till the right time. I know. When will the right time be? You think I haven't? I don't know. I thought it was fall. <laughs> I thought it was fall because yeah. it feels like a fall book, mm-hmm. but it didn't call to me, so I didn't try it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why we picked this topic because for some reason, you know, I think fall longer books were slowing mm-hmm. down, settling down. Well, no, I mean that wasn't no. our, <laughs> our experience. In fact, we've actually punted this episode. We probably have punted it two or three times at this point. We have. We're like. Do you have any long books? No, let's do something else because there's you need to be in the right headspace, I think. At least I do to take on a really, really long book. Right. There's one book in particular that we'll tell you about soon. That's what pushed us to decide to do this episode. So Mm -hmm. I am ready to hear about your thriller. Oh, I will tell you, and this is going to be a polarizing one. And I feel like all episode today, I've said, I can't tell you too much. I can't tell you too much. So my apologies. I really don't intend to, but I promise it's for your best interest. If you've Mm -hmm. not read it yet, you don't want to get all the spoilers from us. So this book is The Last One by Will Dean. And it's got my overly specific trope I've been really into this year. A woman (laughs) wakes up on a cruise ship all by herself. Um, So the woman is Kaz, and she steps on board the exclusive cruise liner RMS Atlantica. She's on the vacation of a lifetime with her new boyfriend, Pete. They had a great time on the first night of the ship. They're dancing, kind of making friends. Kaz is a little bit wary, but whatever, she goes with it. Then she wakes up the next morning, and Pete is not in the cabin. When she walks out into the hallway to look for him, all the cabin doors are open, and she soon realizes that she is completely alone on this ship. There are no passengers. There are nobody there on the crew. Nobody is there but her. And the Atlantica is steaming into the mid-Atlantic, and she's like, what do I do? (laughs) And that is just the beginning of the terrifying journey she finds herself trapped on in this white-knuckled mystery. Again, Go into this knowing as little as possible. You don't need more than that. I did the audio. 
And that helped propel me through the story. I don't know if I would have finished this one if I just did the print because it was the book I'm talking about where it's very detailed. They did a lot of talking about inventory, what's on the ship. She went into the kitchen. She went into the walk-in freezer. What is there? How much food is there? I'm like, okay, I get it. You're worried about food. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) But I will say there's British narration, which we like. And there's also a pretty big twist that comes along very early in the story that sets the trajectory of the rest of it. So I was like, okay, got it. Now I know where I'm at. Now I'm invested. I thought it was very clever. I've not read anything with this type of storyline. And again, one of the things I like about a book when it doesn't feel long, this one does feel long, but I still think the time investment was worth it because it was entertaining. Listeners, if you've read this, I would be happy to chat with you. And I'm not going to say why, but if you know, you know. It was definitely over the top, but still it gave me a lot to think about. There's a lot of meat on this bone, a lot more than meets the eye. It's not just a silly kind of throwaway storyline. There was some depth to it. I liked it. I had a good time with it. This was The Last One by Will Dean. Oh, okay. I, I think you hate oh. it for the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, you uh, you know how I feel about overly detailed food. Uh huh. <laughs> and and I think you might have said that before, and that's what got it on my radar now. And I was like, oh wow. And literally, like, yeah, and taking stock, I was like, yeah, I could have done a, this one. Could have been shorter. This could have been three fifty, and I think we still would have had the same impact. But still, I recommend. What do you think is the reason for for those details? Do you think? <sighs> I think to really set up like how anxious she is about what they have, what they don't have. Mm-hmm. Okay. To, I don't know. To really get on the boat with her, get in the mindset of the character. and But I don't know that it added enough. Okay. Yeah. I remember I, I sped this up to like 1.75, maybe even two, which is a lot for me. Okay. That's All Renee's right, gotcha. normal. <laughs> that is my, I know, that is my normal. Um, I've been slowing it down a little though, I will oh, tell you. Good. Yeah. If it's, yeah. Sometimes I like a slower audio. For my first book, this is not audio. I read this one and it is A Room Full of Killers by Michael Wood. Now this is a thriller that is 442 pages. I don't think it felt like that. This is also the third book in the DCI Matilda Dark series. This is the only one I've read. So, you know, I don't mind jumping in. I don't think I missed a single thing. Um, This book is about eight killers, one house, and the almost perfect murder. So to start, we have a prologue that introduces us to a character who very soon will have his whole world destroyed and his life turned upside down. It's tense, it's shocking, and it's pretty stomach-turning. And you just know after reading it, you're in for a wild ride. Okay, shifting locations from the prologue, we arrive at Starling House, the home of Britain's most dangerous child killers. There, we are given a glimpse into where these young murderers spend their years before going to adult prison. It's a creepy, eerie place, to say the least, and it's run by a woman named Kate, who has devoted her life and career to running Starling House and managing a house full of killers. When one of the boys is found murdered after being locked in his room at night, questions surface as to what's really going on at Starling House. It seems that the security system has been sabotaged, for one, and neither the staff nor the inmates can be trusted. Okay. 
So enter DCI Matilda Dark and her team. They are called in to investigate, and we soon learn that she's coming into the investigation with quite a lot of her own personal baggage. She often seems scattered and slightly on edge, especially when it comes to investigating child killers. When one of them takes her by surprise in his interview, she jumps to a pretty quick conclusion that he's innocent of murder and sets about to prove that, on top of also investigating the recent murder of the boy within Starling. That is the initial setup. This is a fun thriller. I mean, I know it sounds really dark. It is really dark. You will hear about all the crimes of these child killers. And it's so it's not for the faint of heart. I loved it. I didn't five-star love it. I four-star love it. Uh-huh. But gosh, I don't know. I, I also can't say too much. I love a locked room mystery like this where you oh, no one could be trusted. And also, how was he killed when the locks only open from the outside? Like, it's just a really interesting setup. So we end up finding out quite a bit through interviews with the boys, interactions with each other. We end up getting to know Matilda and her team. And for me, that is where the book shined because I loved all the characters as far as her and her team. I thought their dialogue was outstanding. And the use of humor throughout really helped to lighten the very dark subject matter. She and her team were witty and I just felt like I was like sitting amongst them, listening to them chat. Uh, I especially like Rory. So with all of that, I felt like this was also a very ripped from the headlines type of story. So if you like those, I think this could be for you. I liked Rory as a character too, because he really wanted to understand what made these kids kill. But is there ever really a legitimate answer? Is it nature? Is it nurture? I love that exploration of this really dark question. So I'll finish by saying, my detective skills were partially right on a tiny piece of this puzzle, but I did not have the who done it or the why done it figured out. And then just when I thought, okay, we've got a resolution, I know what's happening, the author pulls a final trick out of his hat that was so Good. Chef's kiss good. This one is A Room Full of Killers by Michael Wood. That sounds so good. So, so good. And you might, I don't like to jump into series midway, but like you, you sold it. That sounds awesome. It's so good. And I, like I said, it doesn't matter. I don't know what I missed. It doesn't matter. Right, right. Um, it's probably a little bit of the, of DCI Matilda Dark's background, but you know, jump right in. And I got to tell you, Another reason that this really appealed to me, like this is not unrealistic because in um, college, one of my classes I took was youth crime. Mm -hmm. It was one of my criminology classes. I did an entire research project on kids who kill. That is one of my most memorable assignments or yeah. things that I did in college. And I went I went to one of the places here in Columbus. It's actually not here anymore, but it was where they housed juveniles who had killed. And um, gosh, I interviewed the social worker and the, like, the staff there. So yeah, unfortunately, this was kind of realistic as far mm-hmm. as that goes. But boy, were these kids creepy. 
Oh, wow. Well, you sold it. I mean, I love that you're like creepy kid killers. I'm like, got it. Added to the list. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, All right. Well, let's let's move into something we've never done before on the show. And I think that's oh. true, right? Because we've never we've shared a latest read, but we've never shared a topic book. No, and not we haven't. consulted together beforehand. So our last book we're going to talk about today is Wellness by Nathan Hill. Renee and I read this together. We have not, I don't know what she thought. She doesn't know what mm. I thought. This is our book club pick for our patrons for this month, both our community read and we're going to do a Zoom about it. And so if you're not familiar, I mean, I'm sure you are at this point. Uh, I think I brought it as a shelf edition years ago, months ago, maybe. (laughs) So definitely have had this on my radar for a long time. It's about Jack and Elizabeth who meet as college students in the 90s. And the two quickly join forces and hold on tight. They are both fleeing their homes. And for different reasons, they end up, you know, really claiming a place and a new home in Chicago. They're in the underground art scene and they have similar inclinations that make them a good fit for each other. Then fast forward 20 years to now, they are married. And alongside the challenges of parenting, they encounter cults disguised as mindfulness support groups, polyamorous would-be suitors, Facebook wars, and something called love potion number nine. And really it's about, for the first time, Jack and Elizabeth who are struggling to recognize each other. And they're approaching middle age. There are these no longer youthful dreamers who are forced to face their demons from unfulfilled career ambitions to painful childhood memories of their own dysfunctional families. And we find out they're holding secrets from each other. And in the process, they are exploring their own separate personal excavations and potentially are at the risk of losing their marriage. So I loved it. I loved this book top to bottom, babe. Five stars all the way. I loved it. And I know full well this is not going to be for everyone. Earlier you said something when you started A Little Life and you messaged your friend. You were Mm -hmm. like, is anything going to happen? This is one of those books to me where I was like, you said, where is this going? And I don't know that it went very many places, yet it went everywhere, if that makes sense. This is very character-driven in my assessment, which is my kind of book. So tell me what you thought. And it's okay if you didn't like it. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, this we're on even ground with this because okay. we don't know what, you know, it's, it's our, it's our own opinions. I didn't love it. I didn't like okay. it. <laughs> you didn't like it at all. I didn't, I liked parts of it. Gotcha. And I have, uh, I have a roller coaster ride experience with this book. If you would have asked me in the first 30%, it would have been five stars. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh my gosh. I messaged the, the only yeah. time we messaged each other, I messaged you and said, Nathan Hill needs to get out of my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, oh wow. Like he and and he is brilliant. And I don't think he's been married that long, but his level of understanding of long-term marriage mm-hmm. <laughs> was genius. And I I've been married, we've been married 27 years and it made me, there was so much that made me laugh that made me like, oh, wow. Like, okay, you get it, Nathan Hill. And just really that. But I'll tell you, I know the exact point it lost me. And it was, (laughs) it was when all of a sudden there came a point where there was a shift to um, 
background, back historical prairie fires. I already knew it. I, I was like, I was walking at the park and I was listening to it and I... I stopped and I was like, did I miss something? Did I, the audio skip? I went back to the the section before that, uh-huh. re-listened to it. No, didn't. Mm-hmm. It just completely shifted to uh, what I now know was Elizabeth's ancestors and prairie fires. And I was, I was like, I cannot believe this has just happened when we were just in, we were just in such a good spot. Like I want to go back to go uh-huh. take me back to present day Elizabeth mm-hmm. and and Jack and that's where I want to be. Okay, so it continued on. It continued on with so many tangents, mm-hmm. so many tangents. Some I loved. I will say, I was there for the placebo effect to a point mm-hmm. with the psychological aspect of that. I found that fascinating. But man, if we can, like, just to, if you haven't read this and we're not, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but the t- just the tip of the iceberg and what this book tackled, the placebo effect, algorithms, uh, well, the wellness industry, and, you know, Facebook wars, just so much stuff. And I want to know, Tina, I know that now knowing that you loved it, do you find, did you think at all that that was too much to put in one book? No. And here's okay. why. I read a book recently. We both read it. Happiness Falls by Angie Kim. Mm-hmm. She had some tangential things for me that were completely superfluous to the plot. It felt like she had this passion project and kind of dumped it in. I felt it was on par with Nathan Hill's writing. This is how he does it. I don't know And again, I said in the beginning, I know this won't work for everyone. I don't care. It worked so well for me because I know that if he's talking about prairie fires, you're going to know why. Eventually. You're going to know why eventually. (laughs) It didn't feel overly random to me. I didn't mind that part, but I was laughing in my head because I thought, "Mm, this is going to lose some readers. And I had a feeling you might have gotten lost a bit in that section. Not lost as in you couldn't follow, but like, you're Mm -hmm. like, what the hell? Get back to the (laughs) main point. And I was just kind of giggling because I'm like, only Nathan Hill could do this. Start talking about the prairie fires of the Midwest and her ancestors and all of these different things. And I know it's going to come back around. I know it's going to make sense. I think I just love the author's writing style so much that it didn't feel, I didn't feel taken out of it. I was like, okay, Take me where you're going. I'm on the okay. ride. Whatever you're wanting to tell me, I'm here. This is a book I listened at 1.5. I did not want to move it up a minute because I didn't care. But I will say, of course, and I sound like a freaking broken record. I've told at least 25 people. The way to go with this is audio. Ari Falakos, the narrator, is a genius. Both Nathan Hill and Ari Falakos are top of their game for me. His narration is so interesting. It's so good. And not for nothing. I was talking to somebody. She's like, I feel bad. I laughed at some of the sections. I was like, no, that's, it's funny. Life is weird. Life is quirky and strange. And some of these spots, you are allowed to laugh. Because I think that's the oh, point yeah. of it, for sure. But again, I think had I had I read this in print, I would have struggled a lot more. But I found myself, as I'm listening, I'm running to the book to highlight passages, underlying paragraphs. I have stars in my margins because I'm like, this sentence is so 
perfect. You've just captured it. I also wrote at one point, this author is brilliant because, yes, there's definitely some tangents. I love the psychology of it. I loved talking about the placebo effect. And I just thought, wow, the research he must have done. No wonder it takes him six years in between books because he's got to put a lot into this. So no, for me, it did not feel overdone. I didn't care. I was on the I was on the ride and I didn't need to get off it. I thought this was a love letter to Chicago. Loved the Chicago connection. I work on the same street as Jack and I was like, oh my gosh, some of those things, especially his remarks on academia, I was laughing because, you know, I work at a university. I thought it was also a love letter to the Midwest, like the specific part that Jack is from. I really liked the ending. And you know what's interesting? Yes. At first, you know, you meet them when they're young and then you meet them 20 years later. And I was like, oh, at first I wanted to go back to their younger days. But then Mm -hmm. I thought that's life. You kind of romanticize the younger days, but you're living in the present. You can't go back. And I know you said, I think you felt the opposite. Yeah, I I liked the present days. But as the book went on, and I want 100% agree with you about the audio narration, he deserves audiobook narrator of the year for this. So good. I mean, it was... It was just amazing on audio, his voices and everything and tone. And and I laughed too. And I, I don't want to say I didn't like the book overall. I, I'm definitely going to land at the th- like maybe three stars. But the parts that I did like initially were the present day because I, la- I mean, it was funny. It was funny to see them interact in their marriage. It was like the struggles felt real. And then the parenting, I laughed a lot about some of mm-hmm. the parenting moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have boys. So um, some of what she was thinking at some of the times, I thought that was really funny. But then as the book went on, like I was more invested in learning about their childhoods, way more so than when I started. Mm-hmm. And and I do see what he was doing with that child, with the childhood stuff. Meaning for me, I took from that the fact that, wow, people come together in marriage, in partnerships, but boy, do we all bring things from growing up. We mm-hmm. bring like, quote unquote, baggage, what good, bad, indifferent. We bring that into our relationships. And he illuminated that in such a brilliant way that I, I, that's my favorite part. Got you. I just loved Elizabeth and Jack and I just loved the, his, I felt seen. I see myself a little bit in Elizabeth, which I don't love. These characters are not 100% (laughs) lovable, but I was like, oh, I understand. Understand certain things about myself. He made me understand things about myself through reading. And I mm-hmm. think whenever an author can do that, I'm in, right? I, I just, I loved it. And I can't wait to discuss. I think this will be so fun. I, this is good for book club. If your book club can hang with a longer book, there's a ton to unpack. And I think it's going to resonate with everyone, depending on the stage of life that you're in. I mean, d- depending mm-hmm. on your circumstances and a lot of things, I think, especially if you are, we've been married five years now, I think together 10, if that sounds, I, I think that's right. <laughs> John, <laughs> correct me. Um, but even so, like, I, uh, there were pieces that I was reading out loud to him. I was like, oh my gosh, read this part. And like uh, their origin story, I loved. I don't know. It's one of those books though, where I'm 
I'm happily accepting criticism about, if that makes sense. There are certain books that I'm like, no, this book is perfect. I don't think this is a perfect book. I think it was perfect for me right Mm -hmm. now. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, I can totally see that. I think this is going to be a great discussion book. I can't wait to hear from our patrons, especially. Like, I think this book begs to be talked about with a group. Yes. Because, oh my gosh. I mean, my list of what I would like to hear other people dissect and in like, especially specific aspects of, like you said, Jack and Elizabeth, I saw myself in both of those characters. Mm -hmm. So many, and it was really weird experience for me. Like, wow, not only do I see myself in these parts of Elizabeth, but I also see myself in these parts of Jack. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was. I mean, it's he is a brilliant author, yeah. no doubt about it. I just need, I just, for me, those tangents, some of them were so long. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to find out if Tina at all felt like he needs to land the plane on some of these. No, <laughs> you, I mean, it's, I'm thinking the part with Jack and his father. I've never understood the algorithm and internet wars more so mm-hmm. than I did in that moment. Like, Very I think true. everyone needs to read that chapter <laughs> and yeah. that part of the book because I was like, holy cats. Like, he's just so smart. And in the back of the book, there's a bibliography. There's a reference page, which, of course, I'd love. And there were some things that I want to grab for my Psych 101 class because I'm like, it, he just activated my brain. I thought it was so smart and interesting. And, and you know, the tangents even to me were interesting because I was now thinking about like, oh, is this true? I wonder about this or that. We could truly go on for another yeah. hour. But well, I, if, if anyone wanna... is, right, if anyone is inclined and enjoying yes. our conversation join us for five bucks come five join us this month, month. book talk etc yeah, <laughs> i was thinking that same us. thing because i'm like oh my gosh you know i want to talk about this book with as many people as possible because i think there's just so so much to it <sighs> well and tina now. one more thing we've yeah. made it so extremely accessible this month because we are going to be on Zoom talking about this book, but if you don't like Zoom and you're think you are like, oh gosh, I'd like to talk with you guys, but I don't want to be on Zoom, we're going to be talking about this in our Discord, which yep. is text is a text based mm-hmm. chat double feature like, this time group. It's a giant group chat. So yes. there's a I have a feeling I'm going to predict that once I am done hearing from everyone else and talking with everyone else about this book. I think I'm going to feel differently about it. I am probably mm-hmm. going to like it more and appreciate more than what I'm appreciating right now. Yeah, it's one of those I think that will stick with me. I know it'll stick with me. Obviously, I loved it, but I can also see this. It's well done. Whether mm-hmm. or not you thought it was tangential, which it was, and whether or not you you got into those sections is irrelevant. You can still see that this was well yes. done. Yes, um, absolutely. But I think it is one that will... Yeah, I could see people coming to appreciate it more because there's a lot to it. Okay. Uh, but that's Wellness by Nathan Hill. I loved Ooh. it. I'm sad it's over. It's one of those. I'm sad it's over. Ooh. All right. Well, let's move on to Shelf Edition. Mine is a holiday read. Let's get into the holidays a little bit. I have Second Chances in Newport Stephen by TJ Alexander. And this is about a trans man who returns to his Florida hometown for Christmas after his career goes up in flames, only to run into his high school ex. 
So Eli Ward has not been back to his suffocating hometown of Newport, Stephen, Florida in ages. He is post-transition and sober, and he is a completely different person from the one who left years ago. But when a scandal threatens his career as a TV writer and comedian, he has no choice but to return home for the holidays, and he can only hope he'll survive his boisterous, loving, but often misguided family and hide the fact that his dream of comedy success has become a nightmare. And just when he thinks this trip couldn't get any worse, Eli bumps into his high school ex, Nick, who is somehow hotter than ever. (laughs) He's divorced in his 40s, and Nick's world revolves around his father, his daughter, and his job. But even a busy life can't keep him from being intrigued by the reappearance of Eli. Against the backdrop of one weird Floridian Christmas, the two must decide whether to leave the past in the past or move on together. And I just, uh, this one was a, it's a great cover. That's kind of what caught my eye. I love holiday reads, but I need something a little bit more. And this sounds like it's going to be right up my alley. I love second chance love stories. And yeah, it sounds like a unique perspective. This was Second Chances in Newport Stephen by TJ Alexander. Okay, I am going with a CIA spy thriller. It is The Helsinki Affair by Anna Petoniak. This is out today. And this one is about Amanda Cole, who is a brilliant young CIA officer following in the footsteps of her father, who was a spy during the Cold War. It takes grit to succeed in a male-dominated world, but one hot summer day when a Russian defector walks into her post, Amanda is given the ultimate chance to prove herself. It seems that this defector is going to warn of the imminent assassination of a U.S. senator. Although Amanda takes the warning seriously, her superiors do not. And 24 hours later, the senator is dead and the assassination is just the beginning. This story is going to be filled with corporate blackmail, covert manipulation, corrupt oligarchs, the Kremlin, and a dangerous new way to wage war. So Amanda is going to team up with Kath Frost, a fearless older woman and legendary spy, And together, they are going to race from Rome to London, from St. Petersburg to Helsinki, unraveling the international conspiracy. But as she gets closer to the truth, a central question will haunt Amanda. Why was her father's name written down in the senator's notes? So the Helsinki affair is billed as a riveting globe-trotting spy thriller. Um, I love a globe-trotting spy thriller, so I am very interested in this. It also has a refreshing female-centric twist. So I don't know. I like the sound of this. It's The Helsinki Affair by Anna Petoniak. All right. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content and community, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also find us at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books.
because it tricks my brain. I'm like, oh, the weekend's here, even though the weekends for me are the same as the weekdays right now. (laughs) (laughs) 